We're uh, looking forward to week number eight, lesson number eight in our consistent character series. We're going to spend some time thinking about uh, models of Christian character today. And, and um, before, we, before we do, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. We've had um, seven weeks to think about our character and to think about what your word has to say about character through many times the models of character that you've provided for us. But thank you for also providing for us models of Christian character uh, that we can see and know every day and Thank you for um, your provision there as well. And as we talk about that this morning, we pray that you would guide us through these passages of Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to 1 Timothy 3 if you want to have a passage of Scripture. We may not get there for a few moments, but if you want to turn to 1 Timothy 3, that would be a good place for you to be. I'm going to read a, a little bit of a, another passage before we get there and then read you something else also as part of our introduction. We have elevated and made to be examples three models of Christian character, models of godly character in our series so far stories from their lives that have been recorded in Scripture are helping to teach us and be our examples. And I think they, I think they have been so far. David was our model for confronting the big challenges with character. Joseph was our model for confronting private challenges with character. And those private challenges maybe just as big as the public challenge that David faced. We talked about that. Then last week, Job was our model for displaying character, really, when life falls apart. This has been, I think, primarily a model-based study. And we have many reasons to believe that this is a helpful exercise to use those, in this case, Old Testament models for Christian character could have just as easily gone to certain portions of the New Testament to see models of Christian character. One of the places that justifies or gives us the idea that this kind of thinking about Christian character is helpful is a place like Hebrews 11. Do you remember Hebrews 11? This New Testament passage outlines the beliefs and the actions of the faithful throughout the Old Testament. It's a passage we use quite a lot in our New Testament thinking as we can observe those in the Old Testament that followed Christ, even before he came, that followed God's lead, had faith in God, 
and we follow their lead, in particularly in their, their thinking, what they believed, and then in the actions that they took. And so this passage first lists many of those people by name. And then eventually it comes to verse 32 and declares this. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and of David also and Samuel and of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms and wrought righteousness and obtained promises and stopped the mouths of lions. It's, uh, it's you know, when this, uh, the teacher gets to the end of the lesson and they say, oh, I can't finish the rest of it. In fact, if I tried to finish the rest of it, time would fail me. For there are so many examples of faithfulness that it's just impossible to list them all. And he says they've, they've done some things and they've experienced some things. They've subdued kingdoms. They've wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. And that stopped the mouths of lions is the beginning of some terrible things that people who had Christian character were faithful people, who are righteous people starts the the beginning of the list of the very difficult things that may face those who have this kind of character. For we know we've discussed that Christian character can be quite useful in life, for it can portray a responsibility that we would have as believers in Christ, a responsibility that we have, I mean a character trait of responsibility, that can be useful in all walks of life. For even Joseph was the master in the the house of a man that was, who was looking for someone who could, with trustworthiness, manage his house. We know Christian character is quite useful in the world. But there's another side to Christian character that you see in the, particularly in the stop the mouths of lions. Then verse 34, this is that other side. Quench the violence of fire, escape the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourging, scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned and they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, This journey of Christian character of, as this passage would tell us, of faith. Remember, in those first three lessons, we talked extensively about faith. That's where these people are. They are the faithful, and they are the ones who have faith. And what it meant for them, in many cases, were things like 
cruel mockings and scourgings, being stoned and sawn asunder, slain with the sword, wandering without the proper clothing. We said it many times. I want to say it just again in this moment. Christian character is built in challenges, but it's also built for challenges. And that's what these great saints, these faithful saints had. There's a description of them in verse 38, a description God gives. And it's really an astonishing thought. It says, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and of caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, receive not the promise. God, having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Their character is commended throughout, obviously, throughout this entire chapter of Hebrews. We see the commendation of those who have faith in God, and it was reflected in the things that they believed and the things that they thought and the things that they did. Particularly at the end, this description where it says, of whom the world was not worthy. I liked what one commentator said of this phrase. He said, a a most honorable character and commendation from God. The true judge and fountain of honor that the world was not worthy of such men. You see, God knew their character. And he proclaims of whom the world was not worthy. The world did not deserve such blessings. The world did not value these people. And they did not certainly know what to do with them. We we could stop there for a minute and think about the model of all those, as it says at the beginning of this chapter, all those great cloud of witnesses that are our example. And so as we've spent time talking about examples, we've done that for a reason. Because the reality of their public and private lives was known to God. It'd be easy for us to measure and think we know and understand the character of other people. But we have just a a glimpse of the outside. We just have cursory knowledge. But God knows, knows everything. And here he proclaims to us, he relates to us the faithful character. So there can be no mistake who they are. There can be no mistake. Meaning, we have legitimate models, right? I always, uh, I always joke around when people say, 
that was legit, you know? I would say, you mean it was legitimate? You know? But that, I mean, I'm talking, this is legit models. So we know God declares their faith and he declares their faithfulness. There's also this, it says they obtained a good report. Another commentator says about this, though they obtained this good testimony, they did not receive the promise, the testimony of the completed work of the Messiah on their behalf. Think about that. They were looking forward to a Messiah that was seen afar off. If these followers of God were steadfast without receiving, right, the fulfillment of that promise, those who have received indeed the fulfillment of that promise and are understanding looking back and seeing the example of the Messiah, those of us have even more reason to continue on through trials and through difficulty. And we know that this is the case because we look forward even to a place like the Acts of the Apostles. And we begin to see the pattern lived out again, as even Stephen, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago in our church service, Stephen with boldness preached and was stoned for his faith. And it's as though you, you hear the echoes of Hebrews chapter 11, where it says some were stoned. And now with the understanding of the promised Messiah, many would face hard things, things that aren't even recorded for us in scripture, but that we know that occurred because of written history. And they would face many things, many hard things, and they would remain faithful. And we could tell the stories this morning of in scourgings and in torture and in trial, a refusal to turn from the faith, but a continued desire to remain faithful. And folks, that is character. That is character. We are in a better position and we have a better opportunity. Isn't that wonderful? How many times in the, that book of Hebrews does it talk about Jesus? Does it talk about its new covenant? And it uses the word better. So we have it a little better. Hey, we can look back and we can see. So if it is true, based on what we've seen here, that models are helpful, perhaps we would wonder what modern models we have for character. I started thinking about this. I thought, how do, how do we do this? If we're going to take, um, if we're going to come to the understanding, and I think, I think we've seen the value, if we're going to come to the understanding that we, we need some models to show us how to live when situations come up and confront us, and we need character, how are we going to represent today? What do we do? Pick some people out and, and point to them and say, well, this is a person of good character. Follow them. That's kind of difficult. Yet I started reading something the other night and I thought, I can't use this. This isn't helpful. I was reading things about character. But when I started to think about this a little more, I went back to an article 
Um, one author has addressed this question, actually. He has a rather lengthy introduction to his answer about how we find modern models for character. And I thought, aha, he's seen something I haven't seen. And he understands something that I hadn't thought about. And I want to read it to you, and I hope you'll bear with me because it's lengthy, but I want to read it to you. It says, as Christians, we all want to grow in spiritual maturity and Christ-likeness. We all want to become what we are in Christ. To be to put aside the sin and unrighteousness and to replace that sin and unrighteousness with patterns of holiness. I think that should be what we want. That should be the desire that God's given us when we've come to know Christ. Ultimately, we want to become like Christ, to think how he thought, to behave how he behaved. And we do well to aspire to the highest standards of holiness and godliness. I think that's what we're trying to do in this, this series. The Bible holds out one group of people who serve as models of Christian maturity. Do you know that or have you thought of that? And we, we understand this. We've gone through a process that has pointed this out very recently at our church. Elders or pastors, overseers, shepherds. They're qualified to the office primarily on the basis of their character. Isn't that true? Now it says, while the Bible provides one quality related to skill, that is the ability to teach, and one related to the amount of time a man has been a Christian, not a recent convert, not a novice, all the other qualifications are related to their character. Yet while these traits are demanded, of these elders, pastors, overseers. They are not unique to pastors. We're going to read through this today, and I want you to understand and to see they are not unique to pastors. It's just that they're listed particularly for pastors. One other commentator said that the list of qualifications for elders is remarkable for being unremarkable. And why is that? It's because the traits are repeated elsewhere as qualities that ought to represent all believers. Meaning there's not any qualities, not any character traits that are given to pastors, elders, overseers, shepherds that is not somewhere else repeated for all believers. It's why we don't take a pastor and hold them in a greater regard or esteem than any other believer, meaning they don't hold some office that puts them above looking down upon us. We certainly don't do that. But what we do is we have a, their example because they are charged to live in this way. The criteria mentioned and demanded of all Christians everywhere, which is another way of saying pastors, elders, are first of all to be exemplars of the Christian graces that are presupposed 
as mandated on all Christians. Every church is meant to be full of men and women who display these character traits. Isn't that true? But he saw something, these commentators, these authors saw something that I didn't necessarily see at the time and didn't even know I saw it after I read this. <laughs> and I said, how do we find modern examples? What do we use as a basis for modern examples? But here it is. Before we go on, I want to say this and make this clear. Christ is our primary example, the one to which we must be conformed. And it is simply those who we have in leadership above us that are to be the examples for being conformed to Christ. And those men are just flesh and blood like we are. Remember this. Praise God for the opportunity to have godly examples, pastors in our lives. But let us not allow this understanding, the way in which they are seen as an example, to be a cause for undue scrutiny. Do you understand what I'm saying there? For you are under the same scrutiny, though our positions of influence and our accountability is quite different. Our mandates are quite the same. For a command from God is simply a command. It's not a command to one above another. It really is a great opportunity to have godly examples. Therefore, we want to approach 1 Timothy 3 today. We want to do so with the understanding that we have these men who are examples for a reason. They are to display for us the character we must have. So let's begin in verse 2 of 1 Timothy 3. We want to see some of these character traits. It says, a bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre. We're going to explain that a little further, but it's of, of money. But patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? You see, this is, there's, there's these things that point out that they have a, a different position of responsibility and accountability. And there's some differences. Don't make the mistake that we're all the same. Uh, the Bible says that they will even have, uh, those who teach will have even the greater condemnation. They'll have to be responsible to answer for what they've taught. And all of us will, but these, uh, to a, an even greater extent, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into condemnation of the devil, 
Moreover, he must be of good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now, as I mentioned, we've, we've gone through these pretty recently. We, we've made a, a pretty extensive study of this when we were in our a phase not too long ago of um, seeking out the man which God would ultimately bring to us and to our church. So we've, we've thought about these things. And we've, we've thought about them with a certain of, I'll tell you what, we've used some of the character traits that are listed here to find a person of this kind of character, haven't we? We've had to have a certain level of gravity. We've had to have a certain level of sober-mindedness. We've had to think about quite carefully the character traits of other people so that we can make a good judgment based on our character about the person that would come to be uh, our pastor. And we make this determination quite often in our ministry here, for we, our pastors and our staff members have to make decisions about people who will join our ministry in critical positions. And I have to tell you that here at our ministry, we think quite carefully about and are quite sober-minded about the character of people that come. And this is important. This is important. For they have a, a, a responsibility to be an example. And as I've told people in meetings and things here many times, the thing that could take a ministry off track, a ministry like ours off track, more quickly than anything else is having the wrong people with the wrong kind of character in positions that are very, very important for the ministry. And so almost, it's almost as though uh, this, these character traits of gravity and of, of um, blamelessness even and of, of sober-mindedness are important in even determining who would be a good fit as far as this example, uh, this exemplar position in our church. The word blameless at the beginning of this passage may seem a difficult one at first glance because we, we think of the term and say, without any blame whatsoever, what kind of person are we looking for here? A person that's sinless? It's not the case at all. We would mistakenly see it as perfection. It is not. We don't know anyone who's perfect, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Another reasonable rendering of this word would be above reproach. This is the idea that a person could be accused, but not credibly. They could be accused, but not credibly. Meaning, someone may make a charge, but it won't stick. 
meaning there's not something that can be pinned on them. For this is what they have done. They have dealt properly and thoroughly with sin. And not only that, they continue to deal properly and thoroughly with sin. That's what we're talking about in a blameless person. Uh, Let me ask this. Are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ of all phases of their discipleship to deal properly and thoroughly with sin? There's absolutely no doubt that that's the case. None. This bishop is held to no higher standard than we are in that sense. For all disciples of Christ are commanded by Christ, as we've read in this class, Matthew 5.48, be therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Quite a standard for us. That's just talking about blamelessness. That's talking about dealing thoroughly, quickly, properly with sin. For we sin, folks, we sin. There's no scandals in our lives. There's no hidden things that could be pinned on us. There's no accusation that could stick against us. You know, in the, uh, if we were to look in the New Testament, uh, rehearsal of the um, early disciples and apostles, what you'll find is they're often accused. But what you'll also find is it even says in many, in many cases about those accusations it says they, the accusations were not true. They were false accusations. Even the, if you think about the accusations that came against the Lord Jesus Christ, he was blaspheming against all that God had. No, he was the Messiah. There's no reality behind the accusations. We saw this kind of blamelessness in Job last week, didn't we? He walked with God and he dealt with sin. It rehearsed this for us. He saw God in a proper way and his actions reflected this fear or reverence for God. Character. These are examples we must follow and be ourselves. The pastor is also to be the husband of one wife. Now, this is interesting. You could tend to sort of throw this out and say, uh, well, this doesn't really apply to us, or this is not a particular note to us. But that what this is talking about, what this is referring to is he is faithful and he's true. He shows in this relationship, keep in mind the only relationship that is used as an example for Christ's relationship with the church. He shows in this relationship that he has integrity, that he has purity of heart. It reflects his morality. It reflects his fidelity. It reflects his commitment, his devotion. Does it not? He does not have a wandering eye or a wandering heart. 
Well, it says something deep about his character. We know that to be the case. These characteristics are obviously biblical and to be applied to all, no matter our relationship status. But it's true, a man tells us much when he shows purity and integrity in his marriage. Tells us much about himself. I, it's really interesting when you'll hear about um, people and they're not believers in Christ. And we're not talking on the level that we're talking here. Um, meaning we're not theologically speaking about anything. And they'll try to describe the quality of someone's character. And they'll say something like this. They'll say, well, he's, he's a great family man. What are they saying that? They say that for a reason, folks, because that reflects some kind of quality in that person. And they know it. They know it. Folks, that, those kinds of quality are not dependent on marriage. There's simply one place for it to be seen. It's not dependent. No chance. It's dependent on marriage. This example to us is another help. But the pastor must be other things. He must be vigilant or he must be temperate. He's a person who's not given to extremes, but he has clear thought. Clear thought enough that he can recognize the subtle schemes of the enemy. Now, I really, I made a connection here that I wasn't planning on making. But I, I, I mentioned several times in previous passages that I was amazed by the clarity of thought of those who were in challenges and could recognize sin for what it was, both in the, in the life of, of Joseph, well, in the life of David as well, for he's the only one that realized something had to be done about Goliath. And for the life of Joseph, because he said to Potiphar's wife, imagine what I would be doing and how I would betray God and Potiphar if I were to do this thing that you're asking. And he saw with clarity and with Job for when, the, uh, when all this calamity came upon him, he was able to look at it and say, naked I came from my mother's womb. And I don't, I'm not quoting the verse correctly there, but. That's the part I remember. And I thought about this. Every description that I read of vigilant or temperate said something about the clarity of thought of the person. And I thought, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. They ought to be a vigilant person. And there was something very similar about the next phrase. They ought to be sober. Serious-minded, there was clear thinking built into those definitions too. It didn't matter which concordance or which Bible dictionary you went to, there was something about the ability for them to think clearly about things that were occurring, so much so as that when temptation came into the life, they were seriously thinking about that, sober-mindedly thinking about the, those things and not in any way confused or had a clouded thought process. I thought that's a great character trait to have. You'd certainly 
want that in a pastor and you'd want that in any believer who has character. They're thinking people. They're serious-minded people. They're considered people. That doesn't mean they don't have a sense of humor, by the way. I'm not talking about that. But they know when to be serious. And they know why they ought to be serious. And they know what's at stake if they're not. They're to be considered. They're to be people of the word. The word ought to guide them. And it says they ought to be of good behavior. They ought to be of good behavior. I, I hate to think of a pastor that wasn't of good behavior. Be a terrible way to describe someone. They're respectable. You know, it's interesting. We find this same word really just a few verses earlier, but it's used in a very different context when it says that women should adorn themselves in modest apparel. That's the same word. Seemly, respectable. Respectable. We certainly ought to be that way. They're also given to hospitality, meaning they show care for others. They're generous. They provide others with a warm greeting, a warm meal, perhaps, and definitely a warm heart. Wow. It's a good, I'd be, that's good to have a pastor that way. I think we do, by the way. I think we do. We have pastors that way. We should be very thankful for our pastors. You're gonna, you, you might see their faces in your minds when you hear some of these attributes. I certainly do. If we were to stop before we get to the section that's very specific to pastors, we could ask a few questions about ourselves. If I were to tell you that I had met someone who was blameless, they were above reproach, their faithful and committed husband or spouse, they're clear-minded, they're serious-minded, they're respectable, it would be obvious that I was giving them a character reference, wouldn't it? Have you ever had people call you about uh, reference? I've had people call me about. I'd like to know about this employee you had this time in the past. And have you ever had to give a bad one? I have at least once. Oh, that is torture. (laughs) You just think to yourself, I don't want to say anything unfair. I don't want to say anything that, um, that doesn't accurately reflect exactly what I observed in the work situation that I've been in. And you try very hard not to make a mistake during that time. But it's a completely different experience when you give a good character reference. I can tell you that because you don't want to stop talking. I've given a few of those too. Oh, this person's professional. They care for other people. They, they do right. They do their work. They get their work done on time. They're committed. They have a great uh, care for everything they do. They're serious about it. Everybody respects them. They're a real pro. And you just think to yourself, I could just go on and on and on about their character. And it's no problem. Because that's what I really think about them. I'm in no danger of saying something wrong at that point. Because that's how they are. Uh, If that could be the case for us, we could give ourselves or some others could give us a character reference that is similar to this one, this person who is to be an example 
Just a few more things. This person, certainly, this example for us, certainly hasn't given themselves to alcohol for it would only impair their sober and clear-mindedness. They're not a violent person, rather a gentle one. They don't have an inordinate affection for money, meaning to the point that it would interrupt any of their decision-making or it would consume their thoughts. They certainly don't have that. They can manage and maintain their own household well with the respect of their family. Their affairs are in order at home and they are properly raising their children. They have a dignity and a gravity about them that is evident. All of that is in this passage. Are these not the kinds of examples we must seek and the kinds of examples that we must seek to be? Are these not people of character? Are they not modern examples for us? We have examples beyond the scripture. Scripture should be. Scripture is enough. But God is gracious. God is gracious, isn't he? And he knows that we sometimes need a name and a face and a person. Doesn't have to be a pastor, but it certainly has to be somebody like this. And so he gives us examples and he gives us models. That is, that is fantastic. God's gracious to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your, your good examples here. I can't help but think of our pastors. So many times when I've needed a, an example, truth be told, I haven't known what to do about something. I haven't known where to turn, and yet you've uh, sent one of our pastors, and I have the real privilege of working with them every day. And I can tell you, I can't think of, um, I can't think of very many others that I would say are more of an example than our pastors. That's a wonderful thing. But let's not leave it there. Many others in our church who are examples too. Help us to be those examples. Help us to be those that someone in our church could point to and say they're an example of consistent Christian character. That'd be a wonderful blessing. Help us with that in Jesus' name, amen.